2: Josh Narce here with the Roto World Football Podcast. We're back, internet. I'm just not even going to waste time at the beginning. We have not one, not two, but this might be a record of three other Roto World writers on this, I guess, table for four is what we're going to call this. Evan Silva. What's up, Evan? What's up, Josh? Roto Pat, Patrick Darty. Pat, what's (laughs) up, man?
3: Nothing. Every, every time so I, I don't have any jokes.
2: Every time I say season. your name, I remember you scolding me for it and like teaching me how to say it. So right before I say it incorrectly, I try to say it correctly. So just no. I figure my
3: own it. website should at least get it right, since ninety nine percent of the other websites do not. The, that those I are high
2: expectations, just to let you know. And Ray Summerlin, Ray buddy, how you doing, man?
1: Living in the dream, my friend. You can call me whatever you want. I, uh, I'm i not pretentious like RJ. that. So Wasn't it RJ? RJ.
2: It was RJ. Yeah, You can call me RJ if you like. All right, guys. So there has been some news this week. We should start with Jeremy Macklin being cut and not necessarily focusing on Jeremy Macklin, which we'll get to, but also what this does for the Chiefs offense and Pat specifically. What this might mean for Tyreek Hill, not only for his role in the offense, but where it might change his ranking and obviously projection in ADP in terms of fantasy drafts.
3: You mean uh, you mean Ty Fluke Hill? I it, saw Evan call him that the other day. Okay, uh.
2: this, this is a good start that we're having already. <laughs> that we're already putting him in the basement.
3: No, I kind of like, I mean, I'm I'm gonna be not a Tyreek hater. I mean, it's gonna be he's gonna be one of those flashpoint players all summer. Where he's equally undervalued and overvalued, depending on whatever uh, whatever tweets you know Twitter shows you. Like while you were gone, you know, some days it'll show you three uh, negative Tyreek Hill tweets from five hours ago, and some days it'll show you three positive Tyreek Hill tweets from five hours ago. But I think the best tweet I've seen on it so far was kind of the other day when Matt Harmon kind of dropped his uh, reception perception knowledge about kind of trying to debunk the Tyreek Hill Cordero Patterson comparison, which no, not a lot of people probably took that seriously. I mean, I think a lot of people kind of made that in passing, but just that, you know, Tyreek, he had like a table Austin, uh, type, like 9.7 yards per catch, but he, uh, he wasn't like Cordero Patterson where he couldn't like, uh, beat one on one coverage or like really separate it all. He kind of did well against all kinds of coverage, uh, clearly made a ton of big plays, uh, I mean, clearly he's not slam dunk any, but, uh, any, anytime you're kind of like a gadget type where at least some degree of your touches have to be manufactured, there's risk, but Mm -hmm. I I don't think we're looking at like a, like a Cordero Patterson type, obviously, or even maybe like a Tyler Lockett type. I think his ceiling, it's similar to the situation Tyler Lockett was, but I think he's already, he's shown more than Tyler Lockett did. Tyler Lockett's rookie season. And clearly, I mean, the chiefs, uh, have a ton of confidence in him. Otherwise right. they would not have released Jeremy Macklin. So I, I think I'm going to say right now, Tyreek Hill's undervalued.
2: Evan, do you have any Tyreek shares or are you going to have any in the future?
4: Yeah, he was going sixth round uh, in MFL tens before Macklin release. I think that that's, you know, if you were getting him in the sixth round at that time, you feel that's going to end it. up looking like really good value because he's going to be going in the fourth consistently uh, moving forward. Um, I went back and looked at Tyree kill in four games missed by Jeremy Macklin last year due to a groin injury compared and contrast them to four games after Jeremy Macklin returned Tyree kills playing time percentage, his snap percentage went from 48% in the games played by Macklin to 62.3% in the games missed by Macklin. Uh, and he went from five and a half touches per game to eight point three touches per game. If you were going to extrapolate, you know, it's a very small sample size and extrapolation is, is dangerous off of very small sample sizes. But if you were to extrapolate how many touches Tyreek Hill would get just based off that four game those four games missed by Jeremy Macklin, he would have 132 touches, which would be just ridiculous. I mean that's talking about that's like a hundred catch range and thirty-two um, rushing attempts. Wow. Uh, I, I noticed that Mike Clay updated his projection. Mike Clay, of course, former rotoworlder, now at ESPN, one of the best projection guys in the business. He has uh, Tyreek Hill at 103 touches, around 75 catches, and 27 rushing attempts. Uh, I mean, I think he has upside for more than that. Uh, Roto-Pat mentioned how uh, Matt Harmon's reception, perception, Revealed Tyreek Hill to be a better route runner than expected. James Palmer of NFL Network reported that uh, the entire offseason of the Chiefs has been devoted to developing Tyreek Hill's route running ability. So, I mean, I think that they're very, very serious about putting Tyreek Hill into this number one receiver role, and they're going to use him on kick return. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jeremy Macklin leaving, even though he missed time last year, uh, the, the Chiefs are now missing 87 targets from last season's offense, and they didn't add anyone in the pass catcher core to take those over. And that's uh, 16% of um, th- their targets from last season. They're not all of a sudden going to turn into a high volume passing game. Uh, I went back and looked at Andy Reid's uh, history, and I mean, in, in four years under Andy Reid, the Chiefs have finished 20th, 28th, 29th, and 25th. In, in the NFL and pass attempts, but it, it's still a significant portion of their passing game gone with no replacements. Brought in, so that it, it's a pretty significant amount of, of, of opportunity, and I think the Chiefs are serious about p- pushing him into this number one receiver role.
2: Right. We talk about some teams that can support three pass catchers, sometimes even four offensive weapons. Can the Chiefs even support two offensive weapons? And if so, it's obviously Travis Kelsey and now Tyreek Kill
4: as well. Yeah, in the I passing mean, game, I think they can. Okay, I think yeah, they can they, support too. They did
3: last year, Josh. Come on, man. Well, this is what I'm getting <laughs> this, at,
4: right? Is is, is this in is the year before?
3: You said you wanted engagement and debate. That's what I do, I'm doing. I do. But I'm just, but I'm what, sorry, I'm not no, sorry. No, no, to throw it, this. It,
2: it was kind of a leading question into saying yes, if I'm being honest, Pat. Because to me and Ray, I would like to get your input on this. Uh, I think Tyreek Hill's strengths match up quite well with the offensive strengths, and specifically Alex Smith's strengths if he has them at the quarterback position.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, and I, I would move past. Like I'd like to build on what Evan said, and he was looking specifically at the four with Macklin and the four without. And obviously, Hill's target percentage went down. But I added the playoff into it when I was look playoffs into it when I was looking at it, and Hill still had a twenty point four target share percent target share in those games. He was still heavily used, and obviously that was with Macklin back for some time. Um, he was the wide receiver eighteen in standard, the wide receiver twenty one in PPR, and obviously he benefited from 261 yards on the ground and, and three touchdowns, which I don't think we we think he's going to disappear from the running game, but, you know, projecting those to stick around, it's, is kind of, it, it's difficult at best, but that's still going to be a part of his game. So I don't, you know, he already was a 20% target share guy, even with Macklin there part of the time projecting him to be a 25% target share guy is not that far fetched. And even in, And Macklin was that, by the way, in in 2015. He was uh, above 25%, if I remember correctly. So projecting him to be that kind of guy is not that far-fetched. And and even in a passing offense that is not going to be, you know, it's going to be one of the least voluminous in the league, yeah. most likely, then that's still a 125, 130 targets, which for a guy like Hill, it's going to have a high catch rate. It's going to be a lot of around the line of scrimmage. That's going to lead to a lot of catches, PPR success, and all of those things. And so I agree with with the basic takeaway here. My worry is going to be, you know, what happens to his ADP. Evan Mitchell's ADP in the six rounds and MFLs. That's, that was lower than uh, what than what I was seeing on the, you know, the ADP aggregation websites, but it definitely, you trust MFL tens more. Now. I obviously love him in the sixth round. I think he's going to be more of a third and fourth round guy. And at that point, you know, you're, you're almost pricing the upside into it. Even though I do think he could be a low wide receiver one, it's, it becomes more difficult, but overall, it's all going to be about ADP for me, where you're going to get him. If he falls, I doubt it happens. I'm going to be happy to grab him, but I'm kind of putting him in that, back in wide receiver two, that kind of wide receiver 20 range with understanding there's upside for more and, right. and hoping I can get him where I want him.
2: Yeah. And I was just looking at the wide receivers going around that range, um, like Sammy Watkins, Allen Robinson, Jarvis Landry, Devonte Adams, Keenan Allen, Michael Crabtree, Julian Edelman and golden Tate. So, I mean, if you want to put him in that category, you can, I'm just,
3: an I would
1: put him right there with Keenan Allen. I'd put him yeah. right there with, with Michael Crabtree, with certainly with golden Tate, so I, I think that that's the right spot for him. It's just, I guess, it's a matter of how comfortable or how much more comfortable are you with Michael Crabtree than him? Is, is really a question when you know that Hill is has a little bit more of the upside. So I think that's going to be the decision I'll have to make on draft day.
2: So let's go to the other part of this equation, which is Jerry Macklin, obviously departing and we don't know the team as of yet as of this recording the same thing with eric decker shortly it hasn't happened yet pat what do you see for the foreseeable future for either one of these players does it matter i mean I'm, i'm it absolutely matters where their landing spot is um both are obviously talented is there one you like more
3: yeah yeah i'd say i definitely prefer eric decker at this point and you know macklin he uh, clearly wasn't good last year. I mean, he missed four games, and even when he was on the field, I mean, he was kind of a ghost. I mean, I think after week four, he cleared fifty yards one time, and you know, not the biggest guy, It's a guy with a lengthy injury history, and uh, I don't. It doesn't look like he's going to have a ton of options in free agency. He's only made two visits so far: the Bills and the Ravens, and you know, neither one of them. Yeah, you know neither both teams have uh, kind of a dire need a receiver, and neither one of them you know made an offer he couldn't refuse. They both let him get out of the building. Where it's kind of like both teams are kind of operating as if they could live without him, or maybe waiting for Eric Decker. And and Decker's a little older, but um, I think maybe Decker's skill set might age a little better. He's a guy who's always know he's much bigger than jeremy macklin and he's always he's been so good his whole career kind of using his size and i think sometimes those kind of players age better he has uh, at least 10 touchdowns three of his past four healthy seasons and one of those seasons was with ryan fitzpatrick so i think if and when decker uh, gets released i think he will be released kind of a difficult contract to trade Uh, i think he'll probably generate more interest, and he would uh, definitely be the player I would prefer to sign.
4: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, the the guy who goes, I mean, right now I'm thinking that one guy goes to Buffalo and one guy goes to Baltimore right? just based on the limited amount of knowledge that we have. Now, I think the teams like the Colts would be a sleeper to jump in on one of these guys. Um, Jeremy Macklin, of course, has history with Chris Ballard the new Colts GM. I think Eric Decker would be a sensational fit in Indianapolis. And that would be a sweet, sweet, sweet uh, fa- fantasy landing spot. So it's
3: all the Moncrief tears though. <laughs> oh,
4: yeah. <Man>. a- absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I-, I think right now I'm kind of betting that one lands in Baltimore and one lands in Buffalo. Those teams are so needy for pass catchers. Um, so, I- and I-, I think that Macklin probably ends up in Buffalo and, uh, Decker probably ends up in Baltimore, and Decker, in that case, because the the Ravens are missing over well over 300 targets from last year's team, and I think that their pass attempts are going to go down significantly. But the, I think that he could step in and lead them in receiving right away. I mean, his competition for. Uh, You know, receptions and targets in Baltimore would be Brashad Perryman, who was bad last year as a rotational player, and Mike Wallace, who is older than Eric Decker and has never been a a true high-volume receiver. That's just not what his skill set has ever been. Uh, So I, I want to see Eric Decker in Baltimore, and I think that Jeremy Macklin would make a lot of sense for the Bills. Um, who can't count on Sammy Watkins to stay healthy, and uh, the you know the the second round pick, Zay Jones. I don't know that he's ready to be an every down receiver in the NFL coming out of East Carolina. Uh, and then Charles Clay. I mean, they're they're already they're worried about his knee again. You right. know, his knee has been a problem since Miami. So they they need to get somebody else in there. Right. I'm gonna
3: cut you off real quick. I was just say the Ravens are really gonna miss Dennis Pitta's 280 targets from last season. <laughs> It's just uh, <laughs> okay. No, this will lead me into
2: my next point, Ray, because I can talk myself into every single person on the Ravens and also out of them at the exact same time. Um, is there anyone that you're extremely interested in? You're uh, ranking them higher than maybe some of your peers, and and are actually pursuing someone on the Ravens.
1: Sitting as we are now, with with nobody being added, it, it was Mike Wallace. I don't think that I don't think the characterization that. He's never been a guy that you can give a bunch of targets to. I don't think that's really correct. It wasn't correct in Miami and he did fine. Not great. I'm not saying that that's what you want in a passing game, but I I thought that that's what he was going to do. If they weren't able to find somebody like, you know, Jordan Matthews, which was kind of rumored earlier, or I guess, Jeremy Macklin and Eric Decker. So I, I, I was very high on Mike Wallace, but, If Decker comes in, that's a big problem because he's going to steal targets. Obviously, that'll happen. But we know how good Decker's been in the red zone throughout his career. we've We've seen that, you know, we saw that a couple of years ago with the Jets. That's what the Ravens need. I think that Decker would be a better fit for that reason. Um, I think he's going to I do think he would work a lot for the slot. I don't know if he'd steal you know snaps from Wallace. but I, I think that that's what they're looking for, and i I'd much prefer if Decker landed in Baltimore. But I think that I will pick the player that lands in Baltimore. If you give me, if you say, you know Decker versus Macklin, I want to know well, who ends up with the Ravens because, you know, even though they they will probably throw less, they I believe they had the most pass attempts by far in the league last year, I would still bet that they throw around 150 times more than the bills do. Maybe that number is a little high, certainly a hundred times more. You have more targets there. The competition is maybe not even as good. We'll see what happens with Sammy Watkins. He was able to get back to a limited practice. If Watkins is healthy, that's the number one guy. So the opportunity might not be as good in Buffalo. I think that I will take the guy that ends up in Baltimore, whoever that is. I'd rather that be Decker for the reasons I said. But whoever ends up there, that's that's who I would pick
2: out of these two. Pat offered this suggestion for the next topic, so obviously I'm going to give it to Evan first. Uh, (laughs) Since Adrian Peterson has been generating so much love from the Saints coaches in the last few weeks, thanks to OTA's Peterson versus Mark Ingram, and I think we touched on this in the previous episode, but maybe something has changed which one do you expect to have more touches this year with really all things considered, including the injury history? of both,
4: It's just going to be dictated so much by in-season variables. Like, neither of these guys has clean injury histories, and we don't know what Adrian Peterson has left. If Adrian Peterson is healthy and performing well and gets back to his 2015 form, I mean, let's not forget that he led the NFL in rushing a couple of years ago at the age of 30. Um, And I know everybody wanted everybody. I remember that all season. Everybody wanted to write him off and people want to write him off again. Um, But like, because of the about three round disparity in their ADPs, Adrian Peterson is definitely the pick for me. Uh, He is playing in the best off offense he's ever played in. And uh, the Saints have one of the better one of the NFL's best offensive lines, and they even added depth. Uh, with the selection of Ryan Ramczyk uh, in the the late first round, uh, so because of the ADP disparity, uh, I would rather have Adrian Peterson. Uh, however, you know if you were just doing a straight up touch projection, and again, I think that that's really really unreliable because it's uh, it, it will be dictated and influenced so much by health and largely unpredictable performance. I think you would, you would want to send more touches to Mark Ingram and it certainly helps Mark Ingram that he's so much better in the passing game than Adrian Peterson. He can get a lot more touches in, in, in that, in that way.
2: Pat, guys like C.J. Anderson, Spencer Ware, Eddie Lacy, a few more are going ahead of Adrian Pearson. Do you think that's fair?
3: I'd say that's probably fair. I don't know about C.J. Anderson, but I I would say Evan broke the situation down basically as good as possible, I think – it's really impossible to predict what the touch distribution is going to be. I think it, like he said, it's going to be completely dependent on kind of in season developments. But if I had to pick someone to win the quote unquote touch war right now, it would definitely be Mark Ingram. Uh, even though Sean Payton seems to hate Mark Ingram. Uh, it's kind of like that old Simpsons joke. Or I don't know if anyone watched the Simpsons, nope. but it's it's kind of like uh, he ran over uh, Sean Payton's dog repeatedly. And uh, uh, this is really horrible. You're going to have to edit this one What, what, what was it?
2: Was it one of those jokes like you had to watch it, like you had to be there? Cause
3: yeah, really. This, we'll edit is this it much out, of so joke? I won't even explain it. But anyways, so Sean Payton <laughs> hates Mark Ingram, but he's younger than Adrian Peterson. Uh, he's not a zero in the passing game. Adrian Peterson has appeared in 20 games over the past three years. Uh, he's now 32. I mean, I know they're marveling like he's a Roman god in padless practices, but hopefully a future Hall of Famer would look good in padless practices and... I just think that it's quite possible Adrian Peterson is kind of on the brick wall phase of his career where it doesn't matter what the line is. All he does is run into brick walls. And I think it's a situation right now to avoid. But if I had to choose, I would pick uh, Mark Ingram. In general, just like this is a basic rule of fantasy that
1: I'll, I will follow. I'm going to go with the guy who's not 32, who can help out in the passing game, and who was not terrible and hurt the year before. That's just a general rule that I'll go with. And, and I know it's a process,
2: right? No,
1: and, and I know we have to Pat mentioned this. And I, I know that we have to like the mythos of Adrian Peterson means that we all have to believe that he is descended from Zeus himself and Zeus breathed life into him so that he could play football and we could watch him. But I I just I'm going to take the, my chances on on history and history tells us that Frank Gore aside who, again, that Frank Gore does not get enough credit for what he's done and how healthy he's been. I don't think he's missed a game since 2010, but Frank Gore aside, this just stuff doesn't happen. So I'm going to go with Mark Ingram. That doesn't mean I don't see a role for Peterson. I I continue to think that this backfield is going to look very similar to what it did in Ingram's first couple years in the league, with actually Peterson kind of playing an Ingram role, seeing something like 30% of the carries with – you know, very little involvement in the passing game, and if he does that in a very good offense that he's not, you know, washed, then then maybe he can have some fantasy value. But I'm going to take Mark Ingram, and I'm I'm going to take my chances that way.
3: Adrian Peterson could be like the best touchdown vulture in the league this year, maybe, but that might be like a best case scenario for Evan. I have another question to
2: pose to you. Um, everyone's off season. Favorites Devonte Parker and Julius Thomas are both earning high praise. People saying like I shouldn't say people, I should say beat writers are saying that Julius Thomas has played Hey, drawn out beat for writers him. are people too. They are, they are, <laughs> uh, and and that Devonte Parker looks outstanding. Again, this is an offense that relied heavily on the running game once Jai got going last year. Um, Jarvis Landry still is a target monster in the slot. They just re-signed Kenny Stills, so could we really anticipate a big jump, Evan? for guys like Devontae Parker or Julius Thomas slash and Julius Thomas?
4: You know, the the volume, you know, what is a decidedly run first offense and the the Dolphins absolutely want to keep it that way. I think Ryan Tannehill's pass attempts per game has dipped each season of his NFL career and was certainly a a career low last season under Adam Gase. Like the new coach comes in, he identifies, you know, the team's strengths and weaknesses. He schemes the, the offense around that. What and a novel they're concept. Gonna be, they're <laughs> going to be a low volume passing offense. All right. So I don't think that they're going to change from that unless, like, Jay Ajayi gets hurt and then they have to make that um, transition in season. Uh, I think that where Julius Thomas is could become a fantasy factor this year would be as a touchdown scorer. I don't think that it is going to be because he has a 60 or 65 catch season. I mean, he's only got one season in his career above 46 catches uh, I believe so he's going to be involved in the red zone I think Devontae Parker is the most talented wide receiver that the Dolphins have and if all this fluff is for real and carries over into the real games then yeah I mean I could see him leading the team in receiving yards this year because if you go back and look at the way that they schemed their offense last year I don't think that they want Jarvis – I don't think they want their offense every week to be Ryan Tannehill targets Jarvis Landry 14 times <laughs> on a weekly basis. You know, I don't think that they want to do that anymore. I think that they want to be a run-first offense that takes shots downfield. And that's why they invested $8 million a year in Kenny Stills yeah. who can run down the field, and that's probably – at least partially, why they are talking up Devonte Parker because he really is their best vertical threat. I mean, he's got almost 34 inch arms. He ran 445 coming out of college. You know, he's built like AJ Green. This this is the the prototypical vertical receiver that they need for their offense to really take the next step.
2: Ray, were you a fan of Devonte Parker out of Louisville?
1: Uh, not particularly. I I didn't. I just didn't see a. I guess I didn't see a lot there, there, but he does. I thought he was fine, and I did think he could be a a good deep threat, which is what Evan's saying that he's going to. That's the way they kind of use him, and that's how they're going to want to use him. And if that's the case, and it's good, and I I just want to kind of build on Evan's point. If you're if you're really going to bat for Julius Thomas, it's for touchdowns for sure. But if you're going to bat for him having a lot of volume, then you really have to make a you know you really have to make a projection about that. Miami targeted their tight ends. 63 times last season. That was a fifth lowest percentage in the league. Uh, You would probably expect an increase with Thomas, but I don't see a big one. Whereas Parker, and I think maybe this quietly, maybe this went under the radar, but he had more targets, catches and yards than Kenny stills in one fewer game. He, that role was already there. It was very inconsistent, but like Evan said, I'm not sure they want Jarvis Landry to be the focal point of his offense. They haven't they haven't even really seemed to get serious with talking an extension with him, even though he's in a contract year. So I agree completely with that. I do think that, you know, I, I'd like to see Parker stay healthy and, and be consistent. And I do worry he's going to be overvalued. But if I'm if I'm picking a, a breakout out of these two, you know, it's certainly
2: Parker. Pat, do either get your juices flowing?
3: I mean, ever since. uh Devontae Parker peeled off his face to reveal that he's actually Jerry Rice in OTAs. Uh, I mean, I've been very intrigued by the <laughs> daily reports coming out of Dolphins practice, but I mean, Devontae Parker is clearly uh, overall intriguing talent. Like this, mean, a guy who you know, on paper can maybe be one of the more effective and deep threats in the league, and he's someone you know, I've actually always kind of liked. I'm kind of. Uh, drawn to big play guys and I think he's made just enough big plays for the first two years of his career where you could still kind of theorize that a breakout is coming but I would say right now I mean this is this is sounds like could really sound like like famous last words in May or June whatever it is saying I prefer Julius Thomas but I think I will say I prefer Julius Thomas because I think his over under for touchdowns might honestly be 10 because they don't they have they have lacked a red zone threat under they, yeah, they, I will yeah, take the
2: under as well.
3: They,
4: well, hold on. Bet, they severely lack. my whole role my... <laughs> No,
3: no. <laughs> hold on. They, they had nothing resembling a go-to red, red zone threat last year. Uh, it's a guy who was past two years. I mean, he's playing with Peyton Manning, but his past two years uh, where he played with Adam Gase in Denver, he scored 24 touchdowns in 27 games. Uh, Ray mentioned, you know, they didn't target the tight ends much last year. That's because it was Jordan Cameron at the end of his career and Dion Sims, who's like the definition of just a guy. And I think he just really it kind of fills a void. He fills a void. He fills a void for a like kind of a role. He's he's a he plays a role they they didn't have last year like the go-to red zone threat and he's had past success with Adam Gase. Adam Gase like Evan says coaches to guys' strengths. He knows uh, Julius Thomas's strengths winning in the red zone. You know making those tough catches, and I just think tight end more than probably any other position is touchdown dependent and. I clearly, I don't I don't think Julius Thomas is going to be like a top six or probably even top eight tight end. but I think he could be one of those kind of classic guys in like the eight to fourteen range where if you don't have one of the top tight ends and you're playing matchups, he's going to be a guy who on a weekly basis is probably better than fifty percent to score a touchdown. So I, I could see why you guys think that's an absurd opinion. but would you like I think Julius, Julius Thomas, Thomas over Jack Doyle? No, I wouldn't, because Jack Doyle is kind of he was kind of he didn't have a super high touchdown total last year, like five or six, but he developed such a good rapport with Andrew Luck, and you know now the Specter, even though Dwayne Allen was terrible last year, no more competition with Dwayne Allen in the red zone, he could be kind of a go-to red zone guy. So in like Indianapolis. 2017's and definitely definitely Jack Doyle has a much higher catch floor too. Got it. But I just think like Julius Thomas could be like a free money low end touchdown tight end yeah. under.
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know how to. <laughs> in that one either
3: all right so we finished
2: the football portion of this one uh, Ray I'll go to you so I've been thinking about this question and I'm being super serious with this uh, would you eat a two inch person for two million dollar
1: hold on are, are you super duper serious I am um, yes like so, there's not even really there's not eh, it's a person like do they are they actually a person it's It's
2: murder yes
1: uh, no no <laughs> So like, it's not it's not like a it's not like a like a you know like a plastic figurine of a no, person it's, or no
3: it, it's a live it's person. not a
2: Westworld person no would you a,
3: eat a GI Joe is that what you're asking no us?
2: Well, two it's, two like, it's like it's a Honey Trunk the Kids person right two inches so live if, person.
3: If, if Rick Moranis. Shrunk to two inches would you eat him for two million dollars is essentially what you're asking yes we all know the moon's not made of cheese i wouldn't do it i wouldn't do it because there's an easy way to make even more than two million dollars you got the world's only two inch person you open a museum you charge (laughs) the two inch person so you make more than two million dollars and you avoid committing murder is this like you you bring the
2: circus to different towns
3: it's the world's only two inch person this is gonna be like uh it's like one of those like that's like once in a century moment. You know you'll be in the history books. Uh, Evan, you quickly said
4: yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean you guys are such good humanitarians. You know I would without any hesitation start chomping on that little dude.
1: One lobster dinner and Fanduel. <laughs> That'd be the only thing you do.
2: <laughs> just just drink it down with that jug as well. Okay, thanks guys. Uh, really appreciate it. So you can all I don't I'm not going to go through each of your Twitter handles because everyone knows you out there. Um, but I'm sure we have content, you know, it's June, there's content out there, right? And if you, again, enjoyed this podcast with Ray, with Pat, and with Evan, give us a subscription, leave us a review, any of that good stuff. Um, hopefully, I will talk to you soon, and hopefully I did not scare you all off.
3: No, I think it went well. Sorry I yelled at you. Uh, that, was <laughs> sp- that was supposed to be for a theatrical, uh, comedic effect,
2: but it's it all fell flat. It's all good. It's all good. See you guys.